So I appreciate your testimonies of thanks that you gave thanks to God. Normally at those times I try to be quiet because I know that I have enough opportunities to speak uh, for myself. And I am thankful to the Lord and His sustaining grace um, in our lives. Just, uh, you know, my parents had COVID this past uh, month or so. And just God's been gracious there. Um, you know, Chrissa is having a baby soon, anytime. Uh, people being asked me, like, uh, do you know anything yet? Do you know anything yet? Believe me, I'll put out an email when you, when, when, uh, she has a baby. But she will text us when she goes into labor, and you, you just keep alert. Check your email, and you'll find out. Um, just thankful for, uh, just a, uh, a, a gift that Yvonne received. I put it in the weekly word. That's about how, uh, when, uh, uh, a grandchild is born, a grandmother is born. And um, so I'm waiting to be born a grandfather. I'm not a grandfather yet, but but waiting for that. I'm just also thankful for the Word of God and just what it has done uh, in the lives of people. A verse that, that I've really been thinking about a lot recently, Second Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. That the man of God may be equipped ready for every good work. And uh, I'm going to talk about this actually next two Sundays. Um, not this Sunday, but the next two Sundays. Just talking about challenging you all to, to read through the Bible, to believe that it's all Scripture that's inspired by God. It's all Scripture that's going to help you. And so I've been doing that this year with some men. It's been super helpful. It's been super encouraging uh, to see the growth in them and to just always be reminded the depth of God's Word is uh, never able to be... Uh, to be fully plumbed, plunged. And uh, so we're going to spend some time here in, in uh, Acts chapter 14. You can open your Bible there. It's really been about the last two months or so that we have been working our way through Acts 13 and 14, which record for us the first missionary journey the church ever partook in, ever, ever, ever participated in. Uh, it's the, the missionary journey that, that Paul and Barnabas were sent out by, and they were really sent out by the Lord. If you look back in chapter 13, um, it's got these leaders, the church in Antioch, it's a great church in, in Syria. It says, while they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and the Saul for the work to which I have called them. And, and so what we have seen in Acts 13 and 14 is this work that the Holy Spirit, that God called these two men to do. And uh, so they, they were, went out to do the work of God, to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And, and each week I have put this um, map up here before you, and I've just drawn where they've gone. And so what I want you to do, even before I start showing some arrows about where they've been, just uh, bringing us along from chapter 13 to the end of chapter 14 where we are today, I want for you to even just... Think in your own mind about, okay, where did they start, and then where did they go, and you, you see some cities along the way, and, and you'll remember, perhaps, what was happening in each of those cities. Um, and, and, and we're going to see the second missionary journey, I'm going to do the same thing, just a map week after week after week, just to kind of give you some bearings uh, about things and, and where they were. Well, they started in Antioch. That's Antioch of Syria in the Middle East. This Syria is the same Syria which we hear about in the, the news today and often, maybe not so much in recent days, but the, the civil unrest there in, uh, in Syria. They started right there, sent out by the church in fasting and praying, and then they went down to the, the coastal city of Seleucia, 
where they then uh, caught a ship, a boat. You might think of it more as a um, small sailboat going across the sea, taking about a day's journey, landing there at uh, on the eastern shore of Cyprus, the place, city, the, the shore town called Salamis. Uh, and then they proceeded to travel across the island, proclaiming the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, in the synagogues of the Jews. Just as they went along, they were just preaching just the salvation that's in Jesus Christ. As they went across this island, they landed in Paphos, and for the first time in Paphos, it's Acts chapter 13 and verse 13, that we begin to see and understand what's happening. Um, actually, it's not there. It's Acts chapter 13, verse uh, maybe 4 or 6 or so. They land in Paphos, and we see just some details. We don't have any details about Salamis or Seleucia or across the way in all these synagogues, but in Paphos we do. There were two men. Bar-Jesus and um, Sergius Paulus. And uh, Bar-Jesus resisted them every way, and Sergius Paulus accepted Christ and believed and embraced Jesus, being believing what it is that, that he saw and heard from Paul and Barnabas. And uh, really, those two really set a paradigm for everything, because everywhere they went, they always had some accept it and some resist it. It was really set up there in Paphos. And then after Paphos, they, they set sail and went north, to Pamphylia there, and they actually landed at, at Perga, uh, and it seems like they quickly left Perga and went north to Antioch in Pisidia. And in Antioch, you remember the story there where Paul sat down in the synagogue, and uh, they were having a synagogue service, much like our, our service here this morning, and they were reading scripture and uh, opportunity for testimony. So it's almost like just Ryan today, just saying, does anyone of you have a testimony of thankfulness to God that they would like to give to encourage the brethren? And he stood up and proceeded to preach a, a rather long sermon, though in the scripture we have only two minutes that he, he spoke through. But he spoke about how God's always been faithful to Israel, even when they've been unfaithful. And now God has shown his ultimate faithfulness by giving them a savior, Jesus, as he promised. And through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That you believe and trust in Christ and your sins are forgiven. And that message was there, and initially it received great reception. The people said, hey, come back next Sabbath and, and talk to us. And, and I'm sure as they went out that week, there was buzz in the city, and people were talking uh, about it and talking with Paul and Barnabas. And, and then that next Sabbath when the Jews saw how many people, almost the whole town gathered to hear the word of the Lord, they were jealous, and they contradicted Paul, and they, they sent him out. And then Paul turned to the Gentiles and said to you, the the God has commanded us, I've made you a light for the Gentiles that we may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. There was spontaneous rejoicing there on the behalf of the Gentiles. And so Paul and Barnabas were there and the Jews hated it, but the Gentiles did and some of the Gentiles there, but eventually they were kicked out of that city and um, driven from the district is what chapter 13 and verse 50 says. And, And then they went east to Iconium. And we don't have a lot of details of what happened there, just in general. We just know that, that many Jews believed in Jesus, and many Gentiles believed in Jesus, but many didn't. And the city was divided, and eventually there was this plot to stone Paul and Barnabas, and so they, they skipped the city, and um, then they went south to Lystra, which we looked at last week, when, when Paul and Barnabas came into town, and there was this lame man who had been lame from birth. He'd never walked. And uh, Paul just said... Spring up on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And it caused this stir. And Paul and Barnabas were worshipped as Zeus and Hermes because of a, a local legend that was there in that town. And as much as Paul and Barnabas tried to stop them, no, don't worship us, we're men. They, they continued to do so. And there's chaos. But then some Jews came 
from uh, Antioch and Iconium persuaded the crowds to stop the worship. And not only stop the worship, but pick up rocks and throw them at Paul. And actually, they, they stoned him, dragged him out of the city, and left him for dead. But Paul rose up, and he walked right back into Lystra, spent the night, and then the next day, uh, he went to Derby, And that's where we, we meet our text here today about him going to Derby. Acts chapter 14, we're going to finish 21 through 28. It says this, When they had preached the gospel to that city, that is to Derby, and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch. And when they had been commended, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the Gentiles. So if, if you tracked correctly across the map, you will see that these verses really contain the journey home that the apostles took. Verse 21 has them returning through Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. And you see it right there, just even with the, the red arrows, I, I have them returning to the, the different towns. And verse 25 has them returning from to Perga and to um, into Pamphylia, and to Perga, and Italia. And finally, we see in verse 26, they're sailing back to Antioch in Syria, from which they were originally sent out. And you just even see the, the red arrows there represent their, their, their trip back. So they go out, and then they're coming back. Retrace their steps exactly, except they didn't go through Cyprus a second time. They just skipped right on back to go to Antioch. We don't know why, but, um, but they took this trip. It was a hard trip. I mean, you, you picture about 1,200 miles at least. We don't know all the, the side roads they took, but 1,200 miles back in a day when they didn't have cars or automobiles or buses or trains. The, the, the only vehicle they rode on was a, a small sailboat that they, that they went. The whole um, journey took maybe a year or two. I mean, 1,200 miles is a long ways to go, and they spent some time in different cities. This is all that we know of these these places here, they, they preached the gospel to many people, many synagogues, people heard the gospel. They, they, they preached the good news of Jesus in the open square and in, and in homes. And many came to faith in Jesus through their ministry. And with all these new believers, a handful of churches started up that we know of. Um, but not all was rosy in their travels. They faced some persecution, driven out of several cities, stoned and left for dead. But, but through it all, God was faithful. The Spirit led them throughout their journey, and God was working through them, opening a door of faith to the Gentiles. My message this morning is entitled, The Work of Ministry, because we see in verses 21 through 28, we just see the, the work that Paul and Barnabas did in the ministry. Um, kind of that's what we see on their return trip. They're doing the work that God had called them to do. And by way of application, the things that they did are very things that we can do as well. All of us can do. So what, what's, what's the work of the ministry? First of all, verse 21, making disciples. It says in verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city, that is to Derby, 
and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Um, now, the reason why this is significant is when they summed up their ministry to this place, they summed it up by making disciples. That's exactly what Jesus has called us to do. Remember the Great Commission? Matthew 28, right, the last three verses of the book says, All authority, Jesus says, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what Jesus called us to do. He called us to make disciples. Now, there's some people today who who think that when you come to faith in Jesus, you believe in your Savior, right? You, you believe in Jesus. He saves you from your sins. You're eternally secure. You'll never lose your salvation. It's done, right? But then there's this second step that people say you have to take, take place. Make Jesus Lord of your life. Like it's one thing to be a Savior, Jesus saved us. But another thing is to make Him Lord of your life. Like, like that's the point when you come to obedience or right when you, you come to start following really the ways of the Lord. It's called discipleship. And some people say that it's optional. They said, well, discipleship is what you should do, but you don't have to. It's not something that you must do. And I make this a point just merely to say Bible doesn't, that doesn't match the biblical record. There's no difference between a, a believer who's believed and accepted Jesus as Savior and a disciple who's accepted Jesus as Lord. You, if you're a believer, you're a disciple. If you're a disciple, you're a believer. They are one and the same. There's no distinction. There's no discussion in the book of Acts or anywhere in the Bible about this progression from a believer to a disciple. Either you're submitting yourself to the Lord, trusting in Him in every way, or you're not. You might believe academically, but that faith is in vain. Even the demons believe, James says, but they, they, um, they, they don't follow the Lord, obviously. But Paul and Barnabas here on their missionary trip made disciples, and, and that's what they were doing. It's the sum of their work, right here in verse 21. And this is the work of the ministry, we're called to make disciples. And that begins by telling people about Jesus. When people believe that, embrace it. It means, uh, as we see their response, where they follow that, then it, it means by teaching them to follow after the Lord and, and the ways of that. And it's interesting even here in, in Derby in verse 21 that it's kind of like it's, it's done, right? They have made disciples. They have brought people into the church. They've baptized them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then they were teaching them about the Lord and all His things that they would have. And that's what we're called to do with making disciples. And really, and that's what the book of Acts is really calling us to do, is to be witnesses and to see where people are. That's where making disciples begins. You know, and it happens in your conversations. I mean, I had a conversation at my, my pool league on Monday night this past week with a man who wasn't a Christian, and he there's a, a casino in town, and so kind of talking about a casino. He says, what do you think about the casino? And I said, I think it's bad news, because gambling kills people's lives, destroys them. Said I've seen and heard about what it is because you see those big buildings in Las Vegas. Why are they there? They're there because people have lost money. They're there on the backs of poor people, oftentimes who can't lose money. In the short term, you can win in gambling, but you can never win in the long term. And uh, I said I've seen those whose lives are destroyed. And and then he asked me an interesting question. He says, "Do you think those people can be changed?" And I said, "Yeah, I do believe." People can be changed. And he said, I don't know. I don't know. What? Like, people, people like don't change. And I said, no, I think people do change. But people change when they come to faith in Christ. 
And when they understand their sins are forgiven, Jesus died upon the cross for their sins. I've seen it many times of people seeing that, believing that, and being transformed in their hearts and in their lives. Why do you think I do what I do? It's that I'm a pastor of a church because I see that change. There's nothing better in the world than to work to see people change like that. Right? And if you believe in Jesus and the power of, of, of Him believing and forgiving your sins, your life can change too. It's a pretty quiet conversation after that. But I extended that offer to Him. And that's the first step in making disciples, of, of just being witnesses for Jesus. Just encourage you all to be opening your mouth. If anything, if we get through all of Acts, right, and you haven't made efforts or work to open your mouth, then our preaching has been really in vain. That's what Acts is calling us to do. That's the work of ministry. Not only making disciples, but it's also strengthening souls. You see there in verse 22, as they're returning to these cities, it says that they're strengthening the souls of the disciples. The idea here is really simple to understand. We understand physical strength, right? Um, We understand, right, why it's good to eat right, and to exercise, and to work out. And so like for our souls, we pass through our life. It's good for us, right, to have souls that are strong, just like it's good to have bodies that are strong. Or we need to take in spiritual strength and spiritual nourishment like food. We need to exercise our souls, right, through through uh, loving others, or through reading the scriptures, or through, through praying, or whatever. And, and we can do that by ourselves, reading the scriptures, being empowered by there, or we can listen to others, uh, Online, and we've got so many opportunities today for people to help us and to train us. That's what Paul and Barnabas were doing. Teaching and training those in the church, strengthening them. It, it's really much like a, a personal trainer. You can, you can think about it. That's, that's what they were, right? The, the trainer who, who teaches you to do these, rep, these, these reps so someday you'll be like buff like me, right? You'll be really strong, right? Spiritually, that, that's, and, and I love the Greek word here translated strengthen. It's stay rizzo, which sounds like what? Stay rizzo. Steroids, what it sounds like, right? We're, we're going to be strengthened by, by steroids. And, and we're going to see in the book of Acts, we're going to see this idea coming up again and again and again. This is the work of the ministry. This is strengthening others. If you look at Acts 15 and verse 32, uh, it says there that, that Judas and Silas, who are themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Strengthening our souls. In Acts chapter 15, verse 41, it speaks about the missionary work is going out through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. In in Acts chapter 16, verse 5, one of these summary verses, the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in the numbers daily. This is the work of the ministry. It's strengthening souls. And all you, all of you can do that with other people. In fact, you can do it the moment our service finishes and when you're talking with people, you can speak with them uh, about ways in which you're encouraged, right? Speak with them about scriptures, maybe something that you've read this past week that you can say, oh, I was really encouraged by that. And then it's, it's, it's almost like helping give, give good food to people, right? Helping them to be strengthened as well to continue in their faith. Moms and dads, you can do this with your children. Open the scriptures with your children at home. Bring the source of spiritual nourishment into your home, strengthen in their lives, well, related to that is another aspect. The work of ministry includes encouraging believers. Uh, again, this is in verse 22. I just grabbed the first phrase, and I'm going to grab the second phrase. They return to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. The idea we have with encouraging is very similar to the idea of strengthening. This is, means like, like building up others. Um, 
1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. Encourage one another and build one another up. Right? There it is, right? Those are similar synonyms, right? When you encourage one another, you're like building them up. You're like, like lifting them up and helping them. But, but the idea here, the focus isn't so as, as, as to be strong as much as it is to, to keep going on. In fact, even it says there, the encouraging them to continue in the faith, right? Pressing on, right? Keep going, keep going. What you're doing is good, is good. Keep, keep going more. And, and the picture here is not so much of a personal trainer that, that trains for strength, but the picture here is a picture more of a coach. You know, like the, the, the basketball coach saying, go on, keep going. Come on, you guys, you can do it. The one who's encouraging is like, like you're doing well and keep, keep building it up. Keep going. Or, or, or maybe like the cheerleader, right? Two, four, six, eight. Who do we appreciate, right? The Tigers, the Tigers. Let's go, Tigers. Woohoo, right? They're, well, maybe encouraging they didn't like cheer for them like that. Maybe it's not all rah, rah. But, but it is like, go on. Keep going. Press on. Continue in the faith. The idea of words, both strengthening the souls and encouraging the believers, it's all about words, a timely word spoken. And dads, you can speak that timely word to your son and say, son, I love, I'm proud of you. Mothers, you can speak that word to your daughters and say, daughter, I love you. Church family, you can say that word to someone in the pew, says, I'm praying for you. Right? That's just a way to say that just keep going, keep pressing on. And those in Lystra, Iconium, and, and Antioch especially needed to hear this because it's all related even here to the fourth point. The work of the ministry includes warning and warning particularly here of tribulation. Look what it says in verse 23. It says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That's why you need to be strong because tribulation's coming. That's why you need to be encouraged to keep going through the faith Right? Because tribulation is coming. And that's, that's why Paul and Barnabas were there strengthening and encouraging is, is because everything within the people in these places were pulling them to say, oh, it's too hard. I, I don't know. Maybe I just want to quit. I don't know. And Paul and Barnabas say, don't, don't quit. Don't quit. The, the path to the kingdom of heaven is going to go through tribulations. And they have the advantage that they saw that. I mean, just think about Paul and Barnabas in each of these cities, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Great success with the gospel, many people believing, but in each of these cities, they were kicked out. Um, they didn't leave city, the city on their own terms. They were forced to leave the city earlier when it was clear they were no longer welcome. I mean, look at Antioch, Acts chapter 13 and verse 15. It says the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and they drove them out of their district. So they were welcome there for a while, but then eventually they were driven out of the district. Uh, when it came to Iconium, you see chapter 14 and verse 5, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with the rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe. And then at Lystra, Acts chapter 14 and verse 19, it says that the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. And all those people in these cities saw the persecution. They saw the tribulation that was coming to take a stand for Jesus. And, and, and Paul and Barnabas saying that these things, they're necessary. It's not just Paul and Barnabas who are going to receive that. It's every believer in Jesus who received that. Carry, carry. This was a message to the churches. 
This is the work of the ministry to tell people in the church, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So how often today, right, the, the message comes across, oh, believe in Jesus and all your life will be better. Now, there's truth to that. You believe in Jesus and there'll be some good things in your life. But if you also believe in Jesus, right, there's some bad things that will come in your life as well. As Jesus said, uh, I've come to bring a sword. He's going to split families down the middle. He says, I've been hated and you will be hated as well. Jesus said, though, in the world you will have tribulation and take heart. I have overcome the world. Right. So the message is right. Things are hard, but Christ is faithful to bring you through that. Brian Borgman listened to a sermon that he preached about this. He says this. We don't do anybody, any Christian, any favors when we tell them that the only thing they have to look forward to is escaping tribulation. We strengthen their souls when we prepare them for tribulations. And so that's part of the work of the ministry, part of us, right? We understand, yeah, tribulations are coming, and so when hardships come in people's lives, isn't this what we called? Isn't this what we signed up for? And I love how Paul's given this to new believers straight up front. He's just kind of laying down the, 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 laying down the groundwork. This is what it means to follow after Christ. Hardship. And you want to know what kind of hardship? Well, it means maybe being kicked out of your city. Maybe it means being stoned. But all, especially if you become aggressive at sharing your faith, is what this means. You'll be rejected for your message. How many of us like rejection? Okay, I'm going to put my hand down because I don't like rejection at all. A salesman would be a very difficult job for me, calling and rejecting, calling and rejecting, calling and being rejected. That would be very difficult. I don't like rejection at all. But if you're aggressive about your message, you will face rejection a lot. You'll be despised for your message. I just encourage you, right? If you can't handle that, you won't enter the kingdom of God. As Jesus said, Luke chapter 9, verse 26, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and of his holy angels. So yes, we need to be bold. Yes, we need to be talking with people. Yes, we need to be witnesses of Christ. And hardship will come, but that's not... Just expect it. And, and I'm in the work of the ministry trying to warn you of the tribulation and difficulty that comes. Um, so let's be making disciples, strengthening souls, encouraging believers, warning of tribulation. But also in verse 23, appointing elders. This is the work of the ministry. Verse 23, it says this, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That is what they were doing, is they were setting in place the leadership structure that was needed for churches. So just think about what's happening here. Part of the ministry of Paul and and Barnabas, as they went out, was to plant churches. And it it just sort of happens, right? They preach Jesus, and and people come to to Christ, and then they start gathering together, uh, and start meeting together, probably. Like in Antioch, when many of these Gentiles, when these Jews came to faith there, they, they started meeting, and the churches were formed in Iconium, right? Many people coming to faith and, and gathering together with others who are coming to faith for encouragement and, and strengthening. Probably happened at Lystra and with all these disciples in Derby. We read as well in, in verse, um, verse 21, making all these disciples. But these churches sort of formed without any formal leadership structure in place. They're simply a gathering of believers. As Paul and Barnabas then swept back through the churches, they started to establish them with some leadership of elders in the church. 
That is, people who would oversee the church. An elder might is also called a, an overseer in the Scripture, one who oversees the church, one who shepherds the church, guides them, directs them, and leads them. And I just simply ask you this. How do you think that Paul and Barnabas decided who it is they would appoint to be elders? Do you think they had nominations and a big vote and then kind of whoever's the most popular person became the elder? Or, or do you think maybe just the oldest people were appointed as elders in the church? I don't think so. I think what they did is they came into town and they started seeing how things were functioning in the church. And they were talking to people. How are things functioning in the church? And they said, who are the natural leaders? Who's got the heart to lead? Who, who, who's gathering people together? Who's got the character qualities needed to lead in spiritual leadership? And these were the ones, uh, actually we're, we're right here. These were the ones that, that Paul's appointing the church. They're, they're appointing those who are doing the work already. And then coming to them, seeing if they're willing, if they aspire to the work, and they, they did that. And in a similar way, right when it comes to leadership at Rockefeller Bowers, that's how we've done it. That's how I always do it. See who are those who are doing the work. See those who have the passion for doing the work. See those who have the character for doing the work. See those who are willing to do the work. So we, we've had people doing the work, but haven't wanted to be in leadership. That's okay. We have people wanting to, to be there and seeking to work, work times with it. But we're looking for people who are spending time at the church, reaching out to those who are at church, right? Making, making the calls to people, texting people, praying for people, those who have a heart for the ministry. That's what we're seeking to do. That's what they were doing at uh, Paul and Barnabas when we went back through the cities. And that's what we do as well when we establish elders and, and deacons. Well, I, I love how the practicals of, of how they did this. And now we're... Or point number six, they were trusting the Lord. Verse 23, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with fasting and praying, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And I, 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 just, I just love this work of the ministry as Paul and Barnabas right, just really trusted the Lord. It wasn't their control all the time. They couldn't stay in Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. They had to return to their mother church back in Antioch of Syria. But, but in returning, right, they, they prayed and fasted. They sought the Lord's blessing, and then they committed these leaders to the Lord, trusting that the Lord would continue to lead and guide these men watching over these churches. And that's one thing I love about Christian ministry. Christian ministry is all about God doing His work in His people. And He does that through many different people in many different ways, and not always through me. I'm not the Savior of the world. Uh, and I don't need to be in every place, everywhere, to make sure that things go well with people, even people of our church. And sometimes, right, when people move on from our church, whether they move on ahead to another church in town for some reason, or whether they um, move out of town, I, I always just say, you know what, Lord, I, I have sought to minister to these people however I could. I have thought to input, and may, you've used me in some ways, and I just know that as they go on, it's your work that you will do in them. I'm just trusting them to you, O oh Lord. And I can trust the Lord to do His work in His people. Just like Paul wrote to those in Philippi, Philippians 1.6. Um, he, he said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I'm just confident about this, those of you in Philippi, that what God began, God's going to finish. And, and, and Paul was there to start the church. We're going to read about that in Acts chapter 16. But then he was gone. But God can do it. And God will do it. And that's what it's about, trusting the Lord. You know, there's some people who, who seek the work of ministry means control and, and high manipulation. I need to control all things. But true ministry just says, I'm just trusting the Lord to minister 
with people. Because either you're going to seek to be all things to all people and ministering to others, or you're going to trust their souls to God to do His work in their own lives. I'm looking forward to when we get to Acts 20. Paul's with the Ephesian elders. He spent three years with them. He was off on another journey going back to uh, Jerusalem. He meets with them in Miletus, and he's there on the beach, and he's pouring out his heart to them. And they says in Acts 20, verse 32, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And after saying this, I'm commending you elders to God. Like, I'm not going to be around. I'm not going to be around to counsel you anymore. You can't lean on me. In fact, I'm going to Jerusalem. I think Paul knew how it was approaching his end because he said, I'm not going to see you anymore. And it says in Acts 20, verse 36, there's much weeping on the part of Paul and the elders of Ephesus because of the thought of never seeing each other again. And so they embraced one another and they, they kissed one another. And I'm sure Paul sailed away to Jerusalem. He was trusting the Lord to do his work among his people. But that, that's we're in ministry. That's the work of ministry. Just entrusting God to do His work with other people. In fact, we've already seen this uh, a, a little bit. If you look at 24, 25, and 26. And then they passed through Pisidia, came to Pamphylia, and when they spoke in the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch. That's uh, in Syria, right? Where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So remember Acts 13, right? Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work that I have called them. And it was a church then that fasted and prayed and sent them out, commending them to the Lord. It wasn't all those in Syria who had to do all that. Rather, it's trusting in the Lord that God's going to do His work through His people and not always me. That's the work of ministry, to, to trust that God's going to do His work. Well, I love the return home in verse 27. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. This I'm calling the work of ministry is giving testimony. You know, I've been on a handful of missions trips. Not a lot, but enough. Uh, And as soon as COVID dies down, I'm hoping to to go out again. I've I've emailed to Ellen Jin, part of uh, Word Partners, who I've I've gone on eight different trips to Southeast Asia to uh, train pastors in Nepal and India. And I just hope to continue that again in the future. But on eight different times, I remember flying home and I'm like, why in the world did I promise that I was going to preach on Sunday when I get back home? Because I'm on the plane, dog tired, but thinking about, okay, what, what, what sort of testimony am I going to give? What sermon am I going to preach? How am I going to explain to everybody what I experienced on my, my missions trip? And that's what Paul and Barnabas were doing. They here, they were, were giving their report. The church, when they gathered together, but it's their report, right? They sent them out a year or two earlier and they didn't have emails to hear what was going on or they didn't have pictures they could see across the internet, right? Across the world. They're like, nothing from Paul. Maybe there's a letter or two. We, we don't know. But then they come back and then they gave testimony about what it is that God was doing in his work. And, and, um, they told, I love this perspective, verse 27. They told all that God had done with them. So who did the work on their missionary journey? All that God had done with them was what the word. God was the one who did the work. When their perspective about their work on the mission field, it wasn't, well, look at all the things we did. No, it's look at all the things that God did with us. Such a proper perspective to give testimony and praise to God. You know, it's similar what Paul and Barnabas later tell those in Jerusalem. Look at chapter 15 and verse 4. 
when we get to chapter 15, it says, When Paul and Barnabas came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. Or chapter 15 and verse 12. All the assembly fell silent after Peter stood up. They listened to Barnabas and Saul here as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Who's the driver in their missionary uh, journey? God is the driver. God just used them or with them. This is what God did with them. Paul and Barnabas certainly did the work. I mean, when I comprehend 1,200 miles without a vehicle, on our sabbatical summer and a half ago, a year and a half ago, Yvonne and I walked around the Tahoe Rim Trail, 170 miles, and that was hard enough. But, but we had some cars to go and to, to get some resupplies, and we had friends come and visit us, we could resupply, but thinking about walking 1,200 miles, and some of that was by boat, but still hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles just hard. And yet it wasn't their labor they reported. They didn't talk at all about their interesting travels. They talked all about what God had done. It's the work of the ministry to give testimony to the work of God. And listen, right? you can do that as well. This is a work of ministry that you can do. You can speak about what God is doing in your life. You can speak about that with your unbelieving friends. It's called evangelism. Or your believing friends. That's called strengthening the souls of the disciples. And, and I love how the thing that most captured Paul and Barnabas' heart is what God did, particularly with the Gentiles, so he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And, and this, is, this is key and central to Acts chapter 15, with the Jewish church understanding these Gentiles of a different culture coming in and how are we going to deal with that as a church. Very applicable for us today in our political environment with cult class of cultures. But it's the heart of Paul and Barnabas. Right when when they saw what you know what what God did primarily he he opened a door of faith to the Gentiles I'm not sure how much they were expecting that they went to the Jews first and then think about Sidney and Antioch right when, when they're in Sidney and Antioch and and then the Jews rejected their message and so Paul said well if you're rejecting it we're going to the Jews and quoted from Isaiah 49 I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth and the Gentiles heard it and began spontaneously rejoicing and like whoa like. God has opened a door. He's opened it wide for the Gentiles to come in. And boy, did they come in. And they came in in droves. And, and this blew Paul's mind to understand how it is that the Gentiles came in. And, and we see in Iconium, same thing. There are many Jews and many Gentiles who are coming to faith in Jesus. And in fact, on their way in Acts chapter 15, when they were sent out from Antioch to Jerusalem in chapter 15 to talk about this question about Jews and Gentiles... Acts chapter 15, verse 3, Paul and Barnabas being sent on their way by the church passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. Like this is a thing that was blowing their mind, that couldn't stop talking about. The Gentiles are believing in Jesus. They come into the household of God. They're part of the church. And God has done it. God gets all the glory. And I'm giving testimony to that fact. Well, finally... Really quick here, we have uh, spending time. This is what we see in verse 28. This is the work of the ministry, it's just time. And there remained no little time with the disciples. Now, we don't know what no little time means. Um, we, the point is, though, that they spent a lot of time. No little time means lots of time, right? You negative, negative, it, lots of time they spent there in Antioch. And I just tell you this this is the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is. Time. 
time. It takes time to make disciples. It takes time to strengthen souls. It takes time to encourage believers. It takes time to warn people. It takes time to appoint elders. It takes time to trust the Lord. It takes time to give testimony to the Lord. And this is where the work of the ministry is is far beyond just pastors and leaders and elders. Deacons of the church. There's not enough time for a few people to place in everything that needs to take place for the ministry of the church. The church flourishes when all of us are given to the work of the ministry and we all dedicate ourselves in time that we give to others. Whether that's people here of this church or that's people there you're reaching out to want the message of Jesus to go out to be heard by others. That, that happens right here at church when we create reasons to be with each other like the turkey bowl we're going to have on Thursday morning. Right? Or, or maybe some Christmas parties or some special services or maybe some dinner invites. Um, it happens when you make phone calls, when you take the time to talk with someone um, dealing with uh, a situation in their life. It takes time for us when we make disciples of our children. So it takes time. You know, there's quality time or quantity time. Ministry takes quantity time, which is quality time as well. And, and these, these disciples were, were here um, spending much time with them. And I think they didn't have any necessary, any, any big plan until chapter 15 and verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the, must, the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. All of a sudden, like, okay, there's a crisis God has, God has stopped us from our ministry here in Antioch, and this is the way God is guiding us. Let, let's go and let's deal with that circumcision issue and bringing the Jews in and the Gentiles, the customs of, of Moses. But that's the, that's the thing that startled them out of the time, the immense time that they were spending there with the churches. So I, I just encourage you, so we just kind of use this as a springboard of what ministry looks like, the, the work of ministry. Just encourage you all, to the extent that you can participate and engage in these things, with us, the church, that's what's going to help make Rock Valley Bible Church thrive and grow and make an impact in this world as we seek to be witnesses for Jesus. Let's pray. I'm just going to pray that we do these things. Father, I would pray, God, for us at Rock Valley Bible Church, that we would be about making disciples. It's what Jesus called us to do. That's what we long to be. We long to be disciple makers seeing others come to believe in Jesus and follow after Jesus. So help us in our, our evangelism being bold. And then when people believe, right, our, our patience in teaching and instructing and bringing them to understand what Christ calls of us. Help us, O oh God, to be those who are, are strengthening souls and encouraging believers. God, help our words out of our mouth to be that which is spoken in a right season. Help us to be those who strengthen with our words that build up and don't tear down. As the Proverbs say, death and life are in the power of the tongue. God, may our our tongues be that that gives life and gives strength and gives encouragement. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand the tribulation, the trials that is normative for us. We in America and our our society, God, have been living in Disneyland for so many years. God, of a very little persecution. And even today, we are protected in many ways from the government. God, if we can stand for Christ, we're protected by free speech. We're protected by free exercise of religion. Thank you for that. God, but the more we speak, the more we'll be silenced. And I pray that we would understand that that will bring tribulation and hardship into our lives. 
As we think about leadership of the church, I pray for the elders of this church, Ryan and Brian and Darren and myself. We pray, God, that you would raise up more, God, to help expand the ministry with time. And I, and I pray even for our deacon, um, Ray. Just pray for more deacons, God, that men would be um, willing to serve as deacons. God, as the, the work is there to be done, we need willing laborers. I also would pray, oh God, that we would entrust all that we do here at church to you. Realizing that Rock Valley Bible Church is the church that Jesus promised to build. As he said, I will build my church. It's your church. You're building it. You're simply using us. And, and God, I, I know how many times I entrust you with conversations happening in households, of how parents are discipling their kids, of how small groups are meeting apart from my knowing, and people are talking, and that's all well and good and wonderful. God, because it's you who are doing the work through your people to build your people. And we just trust that. Thank you, O oh God, that we, uh, we can trust you. We can give testimony. I pray that we would understand that it is not our work, O oh God, but it is your work. And finally, God, I pray for time. Pray for all of us as we all have 24 hours a day. God, that we just might simply evaluate where we might spend those hours best. And Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom and insight to make the most of our time. Father, redeeming the time because the days are evil and it's worthy to build a a church and engage our time in uh, things of ministry. So I pray you'd help us to know how to do that, how how to spend time with people, how to build up and strengthen ourselves that we might strengthen others. Father, just so the work of ministry would be accomplished here at Rock Valley Bible Church. And it's all your hand. It's your work that you will do through your people as you stir them in the work of the ministry. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.